If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them that are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We've been talking a great deal over the last few weeks about sin. And what sin does to us and how it affects our soul causes us to be separated from God. And eventually, if we don't change our ways and follow the gospel of Christ and be obedient to it, then we're going to be lost in the devil's hell for eternity. We've looked at things that sin will always do to us. I know that there are times when we sin, we think that we've gotten away with it, we think that we're not going to suffer consequences, but we do not get away with sin. God sees it all. God knows it all. And so we need to be thankful for that God has given us a way that we can be reconciled back. When we talk about the Gospel, when we talk about salvation, the major tenet of that Gospel, the major focus of that Gospel, the main point of that Gospel is the fact that Jesus died for our sins. And we can be thankful that He died for our sins because that is the only remedy, the only solution to the sin problem that we have in our lives and in this world. Our hope is centered on the knowledge that Jesus rose from the dead, triumphant over, the, over death. Because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, if He did not come forth out of that grave, then He is not who He claimed to be. And like Paul said, we are of all people most miserable. Why are we miserable? Because we're following someone who was a false teacher. And we realize that the truth is that Jesus was seen by the apostles and that there were about 500 brethren that seen Jesus after He rose from the dead. And so we believe their testimony. We believe that what they say when they said that they saw Him in the flesh alive after, after His crucifixion, that He did come forth out of the grave. And therefore we worship Him. And we realize that He is the cause of our salvation because He was willing to die on the cross. And so we preach Christ. And many people in the world think that, that preaching the Gospel of Christ is foolishness. But yet, people misunderstand the message. We see in this passage of Scripture that, that the Jews wanted something else. They wanted more or additional proof from God that Jesus was who He claimed to be. And there are people today who want more proof. We also see that, as the Scripture tells us, that the Greeks thought that it was foolish, that the preaching of the Gospel. They didn't understand what God was trying to accomplish with Jesus dying on the cross. 
And so we still have people today that look for a sign. They want something more. And I think that you see that evidence when you see or you hear that you know there's some statue of some religious uh, figure that is weeping or crying. There's something coming out of it. And people flock to it to see if it's real. Because they're looking for something else. They look for something more. And we need to understand that we accept the Gospel of Christ based upon faith. We believe the testimony that we read in the Bible. We believe what God's plan was. We believe what the Bible strictly tells us that Jesus did, how He lived, how He died, and why. And we, by faith, accept that and we are obedient to it. The message of the cross is sometimes misunderstood. There are many people that wear crosses as a symbol around their neck. Sometimes they wear it for jewelry. Sometimes they well, they wear it because they want to make a statement that they are a Christian. Sometimes it's just decoration around their neck or arm or whatever, wherever they may be wearing it. There are also crosses that we see on buildings to try to let people know that there is some religion there or that they believe in Christ. And so you may drive through a community and see it on a building, not necessarily even a church building, but sometimes businesses have crosses on their build on their outside of their building because they want you to understand that there's a message that they want to portray. We also see as you drive down the road many times, down the highway you can see crosses on the side of the road. Sometimes those crosses represent someone whose life has ended in that particular place. But there are other times where you see crosses that are trying to remind people of what Jesus did, or I suppose that that's the message that they're trying to portray. And I know sometimes I've driven down south and one of the one one big huge cross that I remember seeing on the side of the road that that was just it was enormous but it was there to remind people of what the cross really was for whatever reason people wear it we need to understand the message of the cross we need to understand especially as Christians we need to know what that cross represents and why it's important that we preach the cross and why it's important that we believe why Jesus died on that cross. In Isaiah chapter 53, and verse 5, it says, But He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And His stripes, and with His stripes, we are healed. That's what Jesus did for us. For all of mankind. We're fortunate we've heard that gospel and we've been obedient to it. When you think about the cross, we need to be reminded of what Jesus did, how he suffered so that you and I could have salvation. The Romans had perfected a method of, of, of putting people to death, they crucified. And that form of death was designed to humiliate, to punish, and to set an example. To intimidate. To try to get people to understand, you better listen to what we're saying. And they had a way of causing a great deal of pain. The Romans usually flogged someone who had been condemned and it would usually leave that person almost dead. They had perfected it so much that they knew how many stripes that they could lay on someone's back before they would die. 
And usually they would use what was referred to as a cat of nine tails, a whip that had bones or metal or glass that was tied onto the end of it so that when it hit the flesh on the back or wherever it landed, it would rip the flesh and tear it. Jesus was no different. In John chapter 19 and verse 1, Pilate delivered Jesus to be scourged or flogged. And we can see the impact that that had on Jesus. And imagine the pain and the agony that that alone caused. That Jesus willingly did that in our place. That's what you and I deserved. That's what all of mankind deserved. But Jesus did that for us. The crossbars of the cross were usually tied to a prisoner's shoulders. And then they were paraded through the city. More humiliation. And we know that the Bible tells us that Jesus fell under the load of the cross and that someone else carried His cross for Him. I believe that that happened because of all the ordeal that He had gone through previous to walking the streets with that cross. John chapter 19, beginning verse 16, it says, Then delivered He Him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led Him away. And He bearing His cross went forth into a place called the, called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified Him and two others with Him on either side one. And Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The crucifixion usually took, took place outside of the city. And that's the same that happened with Jesus. And so when they were beaten, they bore their cross, they walked through the city into the outskirts of the city. And usually the Roman soldiers would strip the clothing off of the individual that was being crucified. Once again, even more humiliation. That's what Jesus went through for you and I. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 35, "...and they crucified Him and parted His garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted My garments among them, and upon My vesture did they cast lots." When they stripped the clothing off of the individual, the soldiers usually kept as their possessions what they had taken off of the victim. Here we see that they gambled for His clothing at the foot of the cross. More humiliation for Jesus. At the place of the execution, when they finally arrived at that place, the prisoner was nailed to the crossbars. We know that Jesus' hands were nailed to that cross. And usually it was going up higher in the high part of the palm or up even into the wrist. And then after the stake was dropped or the, the crossbar was raised up or the stake was dropped into the ground, the feet or the ankles would be nailed to that beam that went uh, vertical. Not a very pleasant picture when you think about it. There's been archaeological discoveries and finds where they have actually found the remains where people's feet were still, or their ankles, had the spikes still driven in that was in a piece of wood that had hardened over the course of time. The place of the execution 
the cross weren't were very low to the ground, only about five to six feet off the ground. And I believe that that is the case in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 48, where it says, And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The prisoner would be in excruciating pain. Jesus was no different. And they eventually died from asphyxiation or blood loss. It was very possible for someone who was being crucified to remain on that cross in pain and agony for several days. And to speed up the process, the Romans sometimes broke the prisoners' legs. Because of their legs being broken, they can no longer support the weight of their body. And suffocation would take place quicker. If you've ever been in a situation where it's difficult to breathe, Imagine what Jesus was going through on that cross when He was trying to breathe life into His body. When they came to Jesus on that occasion, they did not need to break His bones because He was already dead. In John chapter 19, verses 31-33, through 33, the Jews therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day. For that Sabbath day was a high day. Besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the others which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was dead already and they brake not his legs. We need to remember that. Jesus died for us. And I think that He realizes that it's easy to become complacent and just overlook or forget or not bring to mind what He's done for us. And that's why He instituted the Lord's Supper to remind us on a weekly basis of what He did on that cross. Because when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we do show forth His death until He comes again. And so we're reminded of what He did as He died on that cross for you and I. Imagine the pain that He was going through. And because it was a very slow and difficult death, and because there was difficulty in breathing, you would imagine that it would be very difficult to speak. And so we can read the final words that Jesus speaks while He's hanging on that cross. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 34, it says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus, even in the pain and agony that He was in, still was thinking of the sin that people would commit and the forgiveness that they would need. In John chapter 19 and verse 26, beginning, when Jesus therefore saw His mother and the disciples standing by whom he, whom he loved, He saith unto His mother, Woman, behold thy son. He said to the disciple, Behold thy mother. Again, a very short phrase that He speaks. In Luke chapter 23, and verse 43, Verily I say unto thee, 
Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46, Eli, Eli, lama I. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? John chapter 19 and verse 28, I thirst. In John chapter 19 and verse 30, it is finished. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 46, Father, into my, thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Those are the short words that Jesus said as He was hanging on that cross. Words that we should remember that He said because those are very important. It's very important what He did so that you and I and all of mankind could have salvation. The message of the cross has an impact on our lives. But I think that it, we see the impact by how we live our lives. But the message of the cross tells us that sin is a curse. Sin is so terrible that God sent His Son to die on a cross because of sin in this world. And Jesus did not just die. He died a terrible, pitiful, or painful, slow death that was in terrible pain. The Bible tells us that sin brings on death. We know that it is a spiritual separation from God. And that's what it does to us today. And in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we see that sin still separates us today. And Jesus, because of that curse for us, He died in our, in our stead. He died in your place and my place. You see, we deserved what He got. And we need to be thankful for all that God has done for us in making it possible that we could have the forgiveness of sin. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 23, or verse 13, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Jesus died on the cross in your place and mine because of the curse of sin. We also find that the cross tells us that there was a sacrifice that was made. In Leviticus chapter 17, verses 10 through 11, it says, And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel or of a stranger that sojourn among you that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is a blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Here we find that God had appointed that the shedding of blood needed to be made for the atonement that people needed for sin. In the Old Testament, animal sacrifices were offered. But we also know from the Old Testament that those animal sacrifices did not actually take away the sin. When they did what God told them to do, they were covered. But we find in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, that it says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers unto thereunto perfect. 
For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshiper once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. So in other words, if those things had taken place, if that atonement, if that blood that was sacrificed by that animal had been enough, then why would the system change? It changed because that was not enough to take away the sins of the people. Continuing on in verse 3, it says, But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sin every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and the goats should take away sin. Wherefore, when He came into the world, He says, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared Me. In burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin thou hast no, had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of Me to do thy will, O God. Jesus came to this world and shed His blood, and that blood was shed for our atonement. That sin or that blood washes away our sin. It takes care. We don't have to remember that sin year after year. When the blood of Christ was shed, when we obey the gospel, when we go down in the watery grave of baptism, and as a Christian, when we confess our sin, that He is faithful to cleanse us of that sin, when we do those things, we don't have to remember that sin again. It's washed away by the blood of Christ. It's taken care of. Old law, they remembered those sins year after year after year. But the blood of Christ eventually cleansed them when they had complied with what God had told them to do. And so we see that the cross of Christ tells us that a sacrifice for sin was made. And it also tells us that there was a substitution that was made for us. In other words, Jesus died in our place. In Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4, it says, Behold, all souls are mine. As the souls of the Father, so also the souls of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. We realize that every person has a soul. I'm not going to bear the iniquities of my son. My son will not bear the iniquities of me. I'm not going to answer for what he's done. He's not going to answer for what I've done. We're both responsible for our own sin. Just like you you are responsible for your sin. And so we need to understand that the soul that sins, it's going to die. It dies. Physical death entered into the world because of the sin of Adam and Eve. But spiritual separation, the spiritual death, entered into the world because of their sin. And so we all sin. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it's only by God's grace, by God's goodness, that there has been a difference in the outcome. It's only because God loves us that we don't have to die in order to be saved. Jesus died in our place. He took our punishment for our sin. Remember what it says in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5. He was wounded for our transgression. In other words, He was flogged. He was beaten. He was nailed to the cross. He was nailed there because of our transgression. He was paraded through the streets. He was laughed at and ridiculed and mocked. He was bruised for our iniquity. Chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. The cross also tells us that there was reconciliation that was made. Since atonement was made by Christ, 
by His death on the cross, God invites us back. Jesus died in our place. He died for all of mankind. And God gives us that privilege and the opportunity to be bought back. We're bought with a price, and that price is the blood of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 18-20, through 20, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Jesus died for all of mankind. He died so that every single person that's ever lived on this planet could be saved. I've talked to people and had people say, well, then everybody's going to be saved. It doesn't matter what we do, how we live. What difference does it make? It makes a great deal of difference. If everyone was going to be saved without anyone doing anything, then why does this first tell us that we need to be ambassadors for Christ? Ambassadors take the message of someone that they represent. We take the message of Jesus Christ out into the world. Why? Because we want people to be saved. They're being invited into the kingdom of God. <clears throat> but they have to be obedient. And while atonement is for the whole world, the fact of the matter is not everyone will be saved. Everyone will not obey the call of the gospel. First Corinthians 1 and verse 18 for the preaching of the cross to them that perish, foolishness. But unto us that are saved, it is the power of God. Romans chapter 1, and verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We understand that it's the gospel message that has the power to save. People need to obey that. If we reject the formula, the plan, the remedy that God has given, we reject peace with God. Fellowship with God is only found in Christ. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-7, through 7, This then is a message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His Son cleanses us from all sin. We must accept that privilege, or accept that message so that we can be re reconciled back to God. Jesus died... God gave His Son. They have every right to tell us what we need to do in order to accept and receive that sacrifice. We also realize that that message of the cross tells us that we must change. Someone had said, uh, not to me directly, but 
Why do I have to change? Jesus died for us all. And everybody's going to be saved, so why do I need to change? And if sin is so bad, why can't we just change the definition of it? Well, I thought that was kind of interesting comments. What is the answer to that? My answer is simple. You either believe what the Bible says or you don't. The Bible says sin separates us from God. And then he tells us that we need to change. That our life must change. And as I mentioned earlier, if everyone is saved no matter what, then why do we need to be ambassadors for Christ? Why do we need to go out and take the gospel to the world? Why did Jesus tell His disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? Why did He tell us to do that? If everyone's going to be saved regardless of how they conduct their lives, regardless of what they know, if the message of Christ is not important, then why did He give that mission to so many people? Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 6. And I want you to remember that Paul is dealing with Christians as he's talking here. People that are members of the body of Christ. People that have obeyed the gospel. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Verse 2. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now if everyone is saved, why is he, got, why is he giving us that message? Why is he asking that question? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, if it doesn't matter, then yeah, who cares? But it does matter. And God is telling us here through Paul that we need to change. That I can't just keep going on doing what I was doing before I became a Christian. I have to change my life. And then he goes on to explain what baptism represents and what it does. We know that it represents the death, burial, and the resurrection. But look at the rest of the message, or the other message that we can get out of that. Through baptism, we join Christ in His death and His resurrection. Now, listen to what it says in verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. If it doesn't matter how I live, if it doesn't matter what I do, if it doesn't matter where I go, it doesn't matter who I hang around with, then what, what, what's the point of that newness of life? What's the point of that verse? What is it telling me there that I, that I rise to walk in newness of life? Verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that the old man is crucified. What old man? That old man of sin. That I've changed. I don't want to. Re I, I repent. I don't want to do those things anymore. That old man of sin. That old man. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Think about that. That passage of scripture. What it's telling. As a Christian, we've changed. We're not continuing to do those things that we did in the past. We're supposed to give them up. Do we? If it's a license to just go out and live any way you want because you know the blood of Christ is going to cleanse you no matter what you do, no matter how you live, then why did Jesus need to die on a cross to begin with? Jesus died for sinners 
sinners that when they obey his message, he expects them to change and not be sinners anymore. Oh yeah, we still sin. And that's probably part of the confusion is because we realize that we do sin. Because John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But then he also tells us that we're not supposed to sin. But we don't look for the ways of sin. We don't go out and say, this is what I want to do. It's when we've failed in living the Christian life. And so God does expect a change. In fact, Colossians chapter 3 and verses 1 through 3 shows us that our affections have changed. Our, our, our goal has changed. We are now to look for things above, set our affections on things above, not on the things of the earth. And so there's a change that must take place. And so when we think about the cross, the cross has come to represent the whole of the gospel message. The message of the cross brings salvation. As we can read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, that those that are saved, it is the power of God. It was the focus of Paul's message. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Never should the message be mingled with human wisdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. You hear people say, Well, Paul wasn't sent to baptize, so we don't need to be baptized. That isn't what Paul said. He wasn't sent to baptize. None of us are sent to baptize. We're all sent to preach the gospel. And when the gospel converts someone, guess what? They want to be baptized. And if we're there to baptize, then we baptize. We're sent to preach the gospel. That's our message. And when God people obey that message, they want to be baptized. And so Paul wasn't sent to baptize because if that was the case, we'd just go out and we'd dunk people and say, hey, you're baptized. That's good. No, he was sent to preach the gospel. And we're all sent to preach that gospel message. And we're not to use words of wisdom. We use the Word of God which is the wisest words that we could ever use. And those that oppose that message are enemies of the cross, as it tells us in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18. And we only glory in the cross because of what it means to us and what happened on that cross so that you and I could be a child of God. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, But God forbid that we should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. What's Paul saying? I'm dead to this world. I'm living for Christ. Is there supposed to be a change in our life? There most certainly should be. And I don't glory in myself. I glory in what Jesus did on the cross to make it possible so that I could have salvation. So that you can have salvation. That's what we glory in. Jesus humbled Himself in obedience, taking up the cross. Philippians 2 and verse 8, "...and being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." Think about Jesus knowing what was going to happen when He came into this world, but yet He willingly came for you and me so that He could die in our stead and we could be saved. Matthew chapter 10, verse 38 and 39. And he that taketh not up his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. 
He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Jesus bore his cross so that you and I could have eternal life. He tells his disciples, he tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. That message has been presented this morning, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that message? Are you willing to repent of your sins and turn away from those things that you know that are wrong? Are you willing to confess the name of Christ and be buried with our Lord in baptism to rise up to walk in newness of life? You're here this morning and you need that. We're here to help serve you in any way that we can. We have water, we have clothes, we have everything ready. Perhaps you are a Christian and have not lived as you should and you need our prayers. We're here to help you in any way that we can. Come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sit.